Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This video includes a discussion of lived experiences with borderline personality disorder and trauma. Although we avoid graphic descriptions, we mention topics including mental and physical abuse, death, grief, and bereavement. This can be a heavy topic, so be mindful of how you're feeling and take care of yourself. And welcome to the BPD Bunch. We have a panel of people who are in functional recovery from borderline personality disorder. And each week, a few of us get together to discuss the ups and downs of our BPD journeys to give you hope and direction for your own. I'm your host, Zanny, And today I'm here with Lena, Roth, Darren, Celine, and Katya. Where in the world is everyone coming from today? Minas Gerais, Brazil. I'm coming from London in England. London, UK. In Melbourne, Australia. West Midlands, United Kingdom. New Mexico in the US. Today we are going to be talking about BPD and trauma. So to start us off, I want to just direct this over to you, Lena, as a therapist who works with people with BPD. How does trauma intersect with the development of borderline personality disorder? And could you elaborate on what the biosocial theory is and its relevance. So just to give a little background on myself to sort of couch this comment from a place of knowledge and expertise. Um, so I'm not only a person with lived experience with BPD and trauma, I am a licensed therapist and I have been trained intensively in dialectical behavior therapy and also prolonged exposure for PTSD. So trauma and BPD, there's a lot of gray area between is BPD trauma or vice versa. Um, I personally, as a clinician who has worked with trauma for years, worked with BPD for years, has been someone who's dealt with BPD and trauma. I have never met someone with BPD even if they say, oh, I've, I didn't have a traumatic childhood or I've never experienced trauma, I've never met somebody who hasn't experienced trauma in their life. Um, so the way we think about it from the biosocial theory, which is one of the sort of underlying theories of dialectical behavior therapy, is that those of us with BPD are born with a certain degree of emotional sensitivity bio, that's like biologically based, right? I, you know, through my genetics or brain chemistry or whatever, I'm generally a person who's going to be more affected by things, right? I'm more sensitive to the environment around me. Um, and those of us who have that um, oftentimes are born into families, into environments 
that don't support uh, healthy development with that sort of biological temperament. Um, and what happens is not only do does the environment sort of influence the biology, but the biology influences the environment as well. So we don't think of it just as like back in back in the olden days of trauma <laughs> therapy, it was it was nature or nurture, right? Are you born this way or does the environment make you this way? Um, but the biosocial theory is a more modern approach to uh, looking at sort of temperament and our experiences with trauma and saying it's not one or the other, it's both and also how the two interact. Because those of us those of us who are born with a certain biological sensitivity, um, if we're born into an invalidating environment, an environment where we experience trauma, um, we're also going to sort of influence that environment through our behavior. So like I'll give an example for this. Um, I am somebody who experienced what we call big T traumas uh, as a child. And uh, what was often more sort of impactful for my emotional development was more of the sort of little T traumas, the chronic invalidation from my family. Like I remember once as a teenager going over to my grandparents' house and my grandpa showed me a picture of myself when I was like full tantrum crying as like a three or four year old and everyone thought it was funny. Like, let's take a picture. Like that sort of thing has a really significant impact and is not necessarily what we would consider a big T trauma or what trauma is defined in the DSM, for example, but has a significant impact on me as an individual because that teaches me things about my own biology, about my own emotions that I then carry forth with me. I mean, the reality is with trauma is that everyone reacts different. And that's why I sort of see trauma as like an equal opportunity employer. Like the size of the trauma, the gravity of the trauma, the length, the, you know, whatever, the impact is going to be so different depending on the person. And what one person might experience as a huge trauma, another person might not experience it as that as the same way. And it, it doesn't mean that one person is, is more resilient than the other. I mean, we do have protective factors when we look at trauma. There are things that do make us, you know, more able to cope with traumatic experiences. And like trauma is trauma is trauma. Like it, it, it all impacts us in different ways and also in really similar ways. So it's funny, Lenny, you're talking about there's some people here who are going to say, I don't have any childhood trauma. And that definitely was me for a very long time. And I think part of it comes down to what we include in the definition when we're thinking about what trauma is. Because like you were saying, there are the big T traumas, which are threats to life and significant recurring abuse. And then there are sort of the, the smaller T things, the the invalidation. And I think took me a really long time to get to a point of being able to see sort of those working parts because I always thought that if I said, you know, yes, I experienced trauma in my childhood, then that would mean I was saying I had horrible parents who neglected me and abused me because that was what my idea of trauma was. And I've always had a really great relationship with my parents. And I also had experience with therapists who had a very sort of old school view where the only way you could be like this was if you were horrifically abused. And and I took that really personally. I was very defensive of my parents. Like, no, I never experienced any of this. Like, they did a really good job. And I think coming to the realization that there are things like small T traumas, and sometimes it doesn't even come from within the family, right? Like, I think there were a lot of things that I experienced in school that were really invalidating. And as someone who had ADHD, 
I was also sort of feeling different from everyone and not really sure how to connect. And all of those things kind of came together to eventually develop into BPD. But but that was that was really difficult. And I struggle sometimes when we talk about trauma sort of in the world because I'm like, what are what are you talking about here? And so many people are like, oh, man, your parents must have been awful. And I and that I think that for me is just one of the things that made it difficult to be willing to recognize that there were some flaws. What I would classify as my two big T traumas in my life, age nine, 17, were outside of the family. But where family and throughout all therapy sessions, every, every time I discuss this, it's my family were not involved. My family were not the cause. I'm very clear and categorical about that. But where it, they did play a part is because it was such a closed family and no discussion, no openness, mm. no sort of love as such, that enabled that trauma as such. It sort of lengthened that trauma. It meant that I sat with things throughout my life, never discussed it until much later in my life. And that's where the family played a part in it for me. So I think even though they weren't a key for a causation of it, they were sort of an ongoing effect of it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I say like often, I mean, a traumatic event obviously is going to have huge impact, but a lot of times it's the context around it. How do people respond? You know, that's one of, one of the, the, the first things that we ask um, in prolonged exposure treatment is like, not only getting a trauma history, but who have you told about this? Who knows about this? How have they responded when you told them? Because like you said, Darren, often it's the way people react to or don't react to us experiencing trauma that has a, just as much of a profound impact as the trauma itself. I can definitely relate to that, given that what we when we're talking about trauma in childhood, I think the common misconception is people receive it or uh, interpret it alongside blame um and in terms of people who haven't experienced big t trauma from their parents it's that resistance to say i've I've been through trauma because it's not my parents fault so like removing the blame from any sort of trauma like you know if someone's lost someone in an accident that, that that's not anyone's fault and it's the same with our parents who did their best that it, it wasn't the right environment they weren't emotionally available for me I, I grew up in a, in a household where I was deathly afraid of my father who was very very unpredictable and I also think has undiagnosed BPD um but I don't blame him for that because he was unwell himself so when I got diagnosed and I tried to speak to my father about it and I lived with him he was very defensive and invalidated that there was anything wrong with me at all and denied a lot of the behaviors and, and factual situations that had happened and that was really really damaging for me and it meant that I had to move out of that house because I wasn't going to be able to heal in an environment where I would my my truth was being denied. I think sort of linking into that as well talking about family trauma I was very similar to Darren and to Zanny in the you know my childhood was not perfect but my parents did the best that they possibly could do and I think when I did experience trauma when I was younger, it was my motivation to kind of protect them from anything that was bad. So I would then essentially lie about things so that they didn't find out. And that has well and truly come back to bite me on the backside of my BPD diagnosis when they asked, well, what's caused this? Um <laughs> The end result is that I've had to have quite a lot of honest conversations and there's still things that they don't know. So 
I remember having to take my mom out for coffee and explain that there was a book that would be coming out with quite a lot of details in about things in my past that she didn't know. And I think just because I wanted to protect them so much, it ended up actually probably being one of the worst things I could have done because she was so upset that she hadn't had the opportunity to be there for me and to support me when that was going on. And yeah, I just think I kind of went the other way to the opposite extreme where I was like, I must protect my family at all costs. Like I don't want them to ever find out about any of this. So can we go around and have everyone share your personal experiences with trauma in terms of your BPD journey and how that all looks to you? For me, I have experienced various different traumas, but the one that I think that I relate or correlate to my BPD diagnosis is related to the environment and the household that I grew up in with my dad. So growing up in a household where it was just me and him from the age of seven, and I was very, very afraid of him. He's a very aggressive man, very unpredictable emotions. Um, and we had a very enmeshed relationship, um, which I think classifies as covert incest. That was my big T trauma, but it was not one particular incident it was that whole environment of growing up in a household where I did not feel psychologically or physically safe for 24 years and that's why I identify with the diagnosis of CPTSD as well as my BPD and I didn't really recognize that until I would say the past year or so when my therapist pointed it out um and she was shocked that no one no other practitioner had mentioned it to me before and I was shocked that I hadn't even noticed before um, and the more I looked into it, the more I realized that that there were symptoms I was experiencing, such as recurrent nightmares about being trapped in that house and not being able to escape that I still have now, which are more PTSD related. But the biggest impact it's had on me is trauma in my body. And I've really, really worked on this this year. And I've read The Body Says No and The Body Keeps the Score and really looking at how it's affected me physically, because when I was 16, my jaw dislocated and I ha now have arthritis and chronic bone degeneration and chronic muscle inflammation in both sides of my jaw because that was never taken seriously and looked at what was the real reason for that. I was treated for the dislocation, but I was never treated for why at age 16 with a sole father figure was I experiencing that. And I now have to have, I've had a further surgery, I have to have another one and I may have to have a prosthetic jaw. And that's all the way I clench and grind my teeth, the way I hold trauma in my body and I clench my shoulders. So there are things that I can do now to help with that. I'm still working on the psychological aspect of it, but it's been really interesting to, to me to learn more about the way that I hold trauma in my body because that's the biggest symptom that I experience from the way that I coped with it as a child being in an environment that, where I was trapped. It was that feeling of entrapment and that's what I'm probably one of my biggest fears now and that's something that I'm learning to work with and heal alongside my BPD. My experience with trauma growing up I, I still remember like last year seeing a, a tiktok of just a kid like in his room it was like a little skit um hearing the footsteps of one of his parents and him panicking and then closing things down and doing all that and it being like you know this is a trauma response and i was like oh no that's just childhood and then i was just like oh you're not supposed to be scared of like your parent 
I grew up never really feeling safe. It's this prolonged feeling of like unsafety that just kind of mm. sticks with you and puts your body in this consistent like fight or flight that your body then decides is its normal state of being. And it's, I think, a tricky thing to kind of word to people or to be able to say to people because you don't notice that that feeling is that feeling until it's gone. A hundred percent relate. I relate to that so hard. Yeah. And the wildest thing is, for me over the last few years, it's been this continuous, like, you know, feeling more and more safe and being like, oh, good, I'm finally there. And then some like another safe feeling happening or another change happening and being like oh that feeling in my stomach has gone and i feel more safe now and then realizing my body wasn't supposed to feel that way i wasn't supposed to have this stomach that was just tight and yeah when that feeling went away it was this like oh god this is like this is my body re-regulating itself on a on a deeper level that I couldn't really understand. Not ever knowing what that feeling is like makes it impossible to be able to describe it to somebody else and say, yeah, you're not supposed to feel unsafe. I think that was my kind of experience with it. And it's taken me years and years and years to now like unlearn that both mentally and physically. Um, But yeah, we get there. And I think for me, that's medications played a big role in that because it's, basically being that like that assistance to that assisting that assisting hand to pull me up to be like this is how safety can feel and then I can kind of put other protective layers in position to be able to then keep that feeling for myself and yeah I really hope everybody kind of gets to feel that because it's really nice so um Two big T traumas. Uh, first one, age nine. Um, I, I won't cover this one, but I think it's important just lay the groundwork. I was uh, taken advantage of by a teacher. Never said a word at the age of nine until I changed schools. I went to a high school in the second year. And on the first day, some girls came up to me and goes, oh, our friend fancies you. Uh, will you go out with her? Like after a day of badgering, I eventually <laughs> uh, gave in. And... Um, that became my girlfriend from the age of 12 until 18. She was the most important person in my life. Then, now, and ever will be. She was the person I told everything to. She was the only person I ever told about what happened in my younger life. And she was the person, first person I ever heard say the words, I love you, to me. She was the first person I ever said, heard say the words, I'm proud of you. First person I believe in you all of these things. And we were, you know, sort of inseparable. My parents went away and I had an 18th birthday party. And at that party, we slept together. And the next day at school, she had to take morning after pill. And at the end of school, she came up and goes, you bastard, you better phone me at six o'clock to remind me to take the second one. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go six o'clock came, I never called her. Walked in school the next day to be told that she'd been uh, murdered at five past six and uh, I live with that knowledge my whole life um, the most important person in my life been murdered and I live with guilt for a number of reasons because of you know the consequences whatever but also on the back of that um, 
I was, even though he admitted to it and taken himself, you know, handed himself in, I was uh, taken in by the police and questioned um, as a 17, 18 year old lad. I wasn't allowed to phone my dad to come and sit with me or anything like that. I was done then. I was clearly in shock. And so I had to sort of deal with that from that day on to this was sort of dealing with the trauma of sort of, I could have potentially stopped it. Dealing with trauma of the only person I ever got to know in my life and ever got to know me really up to that point was taken away. Um, being the head boy at the school, I had to sit at the front of the school when it was announced the whole school and I just collapsed in front of the whole school. Um, these are things you don't really sort of, <laughs> that play on your mind a lot. And funnily enough, a week today is going to be 30 years to the exact day that it happened. Um, and I'm meeting her mum for the first time for 30 years next weekend. And uh, yeah, this is quite a sort of, this is quite a topical subject for me at this point. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's actually the second time I've heard you talk about that, Darren. It's it's what makes me really sad. Thank you for sharing. Ah, my heart goes out to you. I, I don't know if you're a hugging person, but if we were in the same space and this was the type of thing you wanted, I would give you a big hug and tell you I'm so, so sorry. I am a hugging person because, yeah, you get starved of it and you like you appreciate it. So thank you. I'll give you a hug and a porter. <laughs> mm. ah. You okay, son? Yeah, I just... I spent so much of my time before recovery being very, almost like a Teflon pan. Things didn't affect me. Like people could tell me things and I just felt like I had a wall up between myself and the rest of the world. And part of it is I think because I was just so angry all the time. And then over the course of recovery, I started to get in touch with some of my softer emotions and actually allow myself to be affected by things and be sad. And and instead of being angry or pissed off or push everything, and now it's just, now I cry at everything. <laughs> you know, if something's really movingly happy, I cry. If something's really movingly sad, I cry. Um, I like that, though. It's the best way to be. The alternative is horrible. Oh, I've been trying to recover from the alternative for, still am trying to recover from the alternative. If I, if I can feel myself being an asshole, I will just feel what I need to feel and just... If I need to take myself away, I'll take myself away. But 
sometimes you just have to feel it. People don't understand, but it makes you a better person than what you could potentially be. I think the the silver lining of all that is like that same vulnerability allows life, allows a sunset to make you cry or, you know, for the good things to feel really, really good. Yeah, so I find it really difficult to talk about trauma. And I think that that probably relates to those feelings where I wanted to protect people from it. And it didn't really do me any favours because it took so long to get the BPD diagnosis because I think in a lot of ways I downplayed certain aspects of what I've been through in the past because to me they didn't seem like trauma and then when I've gone back and discussed it with professionals I've been like that is absolutely trauma and I remember the very first appointment that I ever had with wellbeing services I went in and it was so emotionally exhausting for about an hour to just talk about all of these things that you had been through and it was really invalidating at the end because the wellbeing practitioner that I spoke to said actually it's completely normal to experience five or six really major traumas in life and you know what like you're doing amazing you've solved all of your problems yourself you don't need us and then just discharge me um which kind of put me off ever wanting to talk about it ever again because for me to sit there and open up about some of these things was a really big deal because I had just dismissed them before and actually I was acknowledging the impact that it had had on me. And that was really hard because I walked out of there thinking, actually, if she's telling me that there's nothing wrong with me medically or psychologically, then maybe there's just a problem with me as a person. And getting over that was really difficult And I think that that has really given me a lot of scepticism around dealing with people in the mental health field. So even now, if I have to speak to somebody about certain things that I've gone through, I will sugarcoat it a little bit, I suppose, just because I'm scared of, I guess it's rejection, isn't it? Just scared of rejection from professionals because what I've been through is not bad enough. Everyone's trying to judge other people's trauma when it's actually the person who's suffering it who's the only one that actually knows the impact it's had on them. So if you've had a perfect life and everything's gone well, getting a flat tire on the motorway and being broken down or whatever can be the biggest trauma in your life and it can have as much mental effect as possibly as what any of us have gone through because everything's been perfect till that point. So I think it's wrong for anyone to judge what anyone else's level of trauma is. I think I've felt more traumatized by the small T traumas I experienced than the big T traumas I experienced. Particularly because a lot of the big T traumas I experienced were after I already had been diagnosed with BPD and they were, this is, I mean, definitely not my fault. Um, And at the time, I was acting very impulsively, and I put myself in situations where I was actively ignoring warning signs or sometimes even secretly hoping something bad would happen to me. And then it did, and I survived, and I was kind of like, well, that could have been worse. And yet, you know, somebody saying something invalidating to me about sharing my emotions, that's the thing that stuck in my head more than the big T trauma incidents. That's not to say that those things didn't affect me because they absolutely did, but it was 
I think that there was an element of self-invalidation there. This like, oh, well, I was looking for something bad to happen to me. So therefore, I don't deserve to have a reaction to this. So I think this is something that can come up a lot when we've experienced a especially a significant history of trauma. Uh, sometimes what can happen is sort of as a as a way we try to find to cope with it, um, but really it becomes sort of an experience of self harm. As we might take excessive risks to the point where traumatic things can happen, and I want to be really clear that I never think that anybody is responsible for their own trauma, right? Just because you take excessive risks um, or you're engaging in certain behaviors or putting yourself in certain situations never means uh, that you are responsible for the trauma that happened to you. Um, but I think it's important to note that for those of us, especially, like I said, with a significant trauma history, what can happen is we essentially kind of continue to traumatize ourselves as a form of self-harm. So I'll give an example. People who have experienced sexual abuse sometimes can have a really hard time saying the word no, or they might develop a sort of hypersexuality in response to their trauma. Um, essentially, it's, it's kind of a way of coping, right? It's saying like, this was so traumatic for me that I'm going to cope with it by basically normalizing it for myself, right? We might feel like this is all, all we deserve. This might feel, we might feel like this is normal um, to experience this. Um, and I think through the process of trauma recovery, part of what makes it so painful is noticing the ways that maybe, like I said, we didn't cause our own trauma, but maybe we essentially harmed ourselves to cope with what happened to us. And for context, in this period of time, I was, when I was hoping for something bad to happen to me, it was in a period where I was really depressed. It was after a really significant relationship ended, and I was extremely suicidal. And I was also sort of in treatment. And I thought I couldn't, I couldn't justify doing it to myself because I knew then how upset everyone else would be. And so basically I was hoping somebody else would do it for me. So then it would be a tragedy and everyone could be so sad, you know, how sad it is that somebody else did this to you. You know, it wasn't something that I did and I could be blameless basically for that. And so that was why I think it was when I survived the incidences, I was like, well, I'm still here. So I should be grateful that it wasn't worse. And that I think that was. I know for me, before I kind of started working on everything, traumatic things that happened to me, I would be able to talk about them very easily. When, you know, I had my shield up, I'd be like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, this thing happened. The other person would be like, that's awful. And I'd be like, yeah, I guess it's pretty bad. And it wasn't until I let my guards down, approaching that requ then required the same amount of vulnerability, which meant it hurt more to talk about it. And living life around it was a lot easier, but then reapproaching it was harder. I think to what Zanny was saying, when you're going in expecting something traumatic, we're ready to get hurt. So we're put our shoulders up, so we're not going to get hurt. But when we're vulnerable, when we're just hanging out, doing our thing, and a little thing happens, it's going to hit a lot harder. 
This, it makes me think a lot about how people with BPD are so good at self-invalidation. I, I have so many clients who come to me and they're, you know, telling their story and making jokes about it, which I get it. It's a, it's a coping mechanism. I do it too. Um, and it can be so profound to really like, it's, it's a process really to really feel like what we experienced in that moment when our guards were up. Because those those with BPD are really good at putting our walls up. But things still permeate, right? Nobody is is ever really truly invulnerable to things, right? Even if I think I am, things are still going to affect me. And it's such, I think, for people with BPD in particular in trauma recovery, um, we have this way of seeming really vulnerable without actually allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Like for people with BPD, actually allowing ourselves to be vulnerable is so hard, especially when we've been told our whole life, oh, you're making such a big deal out of this. Why are you so sensitive? You know, all that invalidating stuff. It's a process. That's like the biggest part of trauma recovery for people with BPD in particular. They're like, maybe I'm making this up or maybe I'm exaggerating or maybe this wasn't that big of a deal. I think you're probably judging me and thinking like, I'm, I'm making a big deal out of this. It's not really traumatic. And I'm like, I'm definitely not thinking <laughs> this is traumatic. <laughs> if I take something like tra- trauma with relationships, tra- the trauma hasn't been what's caused the breakup of a relationship. It's the self-invalidation. It's thinking it's not important or it's not worth pointing out at the start of a relationship. Something which has then become a significant issue during relationships because you don't think if you're if a start relationship, you don't need to know that because actually I'm really happy with you and I don't want to mess this up. And if I bring this up now, it's going to go completely screwy. And yet it, it, later on down the line, you're like, well, why the hell didn't you say this before? I, if I could have, you know, if I had a pound or a dollar for every time someone said that to me, I'd be a very rich guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, even as a trauma therapist, I've done that to myself. Like in my relationship with my partner now, there were things that came up when we went to couples counseling together that I had never talked to my partner about. And he was like, why didn't you say this? And because I was, I had invalidated myself and thinking, oh, it's not that big of a deal or it's going to be too much for him to know. And then it like came up later where he's like, I can't believe you, you never mentioned this, right? You know, we're really, really scared of other people invalidating us further and so we just, we just do it ourselves. We just invalidate ourselves first. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching. I hope that you got a nugget of wisdom to take on your journey. I know that this was definitely an episode full of emotions. So take time and process whatever this episode brought up for you. This is a great opportunity to feel some feelings. And we will be back, of course, with another episode next week. We will see you then. Bye. Bye.